I feel that in life, we're all very unique individuals. And the more turns and twists that you go on, if you're really pursuing your inner voice and your passion, hopefully you're realizing the thing that you're meant to do. and welcome to the Future Podcast. Today's guest is an illustrator, children's book author, and creative entrepreneur. He's also a member of the Future Pro Group. But more importantly, he's a shining example of how to find the silver lining in a bad situation. And that situation goes by the name of COVID-19. Now, it's no mystery why businesses all over the planet have been decimated, and our guest is no exception. But what he does excel at, especially in these miserable times, is pivoting his way out of it. His remarkable story comes with many twists, turns, and tough life decisions, like leaving a salary of $120,000 a year to pursue happiness that only pays 30, and all while shouldering hundreds of thousands of dollars in tuition debt. But like I said, there is a silver lining. And that's why he now happily pays $8,000 a month in Zoom bills, but he does it debt-free. Okay, is that enough mystery for you? Sure hope so, but you'll have to listen to this two-part episode to get the whole story. And trust me, it's worth your time. All right, enough anticipation building. Please enjoy our fascinating conversation with Ari Chung. Okay, so Ari, for people who don't know who you are, can you introduce yourself and give us a little brief description of what it is that you do? Sure. So I'm Ari Chung, a children's book author and illustrator and a creative entrepreneur. And I make picture books as well as I teach uh, kids and adults how to become more creative, how to chase their dreams, and even how to build a business. Beautiful. You've said that a few times before, I take it. (laughs) I've been working on it. That's enough. Yeah, it's very smooth delivery. All right. So did you, if I'm following the story correctly, were you doing business stuff before you did art stuff? That's correct. So, uh, in my I undergraduate, I studied economics, and then I, wow. I thought I was going to go to business school. Uh, I took the GMAT. I got a consulting job. I uh, learned how to build databases and became an Excel whiz. And I, w- I got to a point where I just, I didn't really care about work. I thought this consulting job was going to be fun and glamorous, but really you're just a mm-hmm. spreadsheet jockey, and you're working on, you know, calculating financial damages for large insurance companies. And it just felt like soulless work. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when my life changed when I met a bunch of artists on the, on the BART train on my way home. And that's when I thought, wait, wait, pause, 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 pause. What year is this that you are working in being a spreadsheet jockey, as you say? Yes, that's 1999, 2000. So it's quite a while. I just kind of need to follow along the timeline. Yeah, it has been a while. Yeah. Okay. So you're in the Bay Area riding the BART, and then you meet a chance encounter artists on the train? Yeah, I, I meet Erwin um, Madrid, uh, Lay, and a few other folks, Steve, and they are students at the Academy of Art, and they have those large art bags yes. that they carry around their figure drawings in. And I had always drawn in school and in classes. I take notes and I doodle, mm. you know, the professor, 
And so I wanted to see how good they were. I wanted to see what their work was like. And when they showed me, yeah. I was blown away. I immediately saw there's a whole nother level of artistry and learning. Uh, and my life changed because I, I thought, oh, that looks like fun. I want to do that. And Erwin um, and Steve, we're still friends today. They invited me to basically crash a uh, drawing workshop at the Academy of Art. And so the following week, uh, I got off work a little early. I used to have to wear a suit to work then. And so I, mm -hmm. I went to this drawing workshop in my suit. <laughs> I showed up in my suit, didn't think about it. I pulled out one of those yellow legal pads and all these young students were looking at me like, who's the oh guy in this Oh my suit? God. <laughs> This is like a fish out of water story. Totally. I could see the poster for your movie <laughs> just based on that scene alone. Yeah, yeah but okay. that, I'll never forget that moment because um, mm. the, the guys were there and they greeted me. I felt really stupid for showing up in my suit, but I had fun. Uh, I drew from a nude model for the first time and it was confusing and hard, but <laughs> I knew this was... I, I knew this is something I wanted to do regardless of money. It was like, it was fun and I wanted to get better at it. And I was looking, yeah. I think a lot of people can kind of relate to that where your first job isn't what you think it's going to be. And you're thinking, especially when you're a kid out of college, you're like, is this going to be the rest of my life? <laughs> and mm. I didn't want it to no. be that. Yeah. So this, this is very interesting to me because this says a lot about your personality. You're riding a train. Yeah. You see these kids with these large portfolio cases. And the way that you are, and we're going to get into this, you have a conversation. And now, uh, 30 years later, you guys are still friends. Absolutely. That's so cool. <laughs> I have, Chris, my best friend is from first grade. We're still best friends. <laughs> I sort of accumulate. <laughs> I don't have a ton of friends, but the friends I have, we're friends for life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we're back and in, in this uh, nude figure drawing class. And you're in your suit with your yellow legal pad, which <laughs> is hilarious. What happens to you next that takes you on your, this other arc? Yeah. So the next two things that happened was uh, I signed up for weekend classes at the Academy of Art. They were really expensive. I mean, even then it was $1,500 for a weekend class. Uh, but wow. I had to make this decision whether I was going to invest in something I want to do, whether I was willing to pay the extra money. You know, I was making a pretty good salary, um, but that's where my disposable income went. And then mm -hmm. that led to the next step where I thought, all right, I'm going to be serious about this. This is my life. And I need to figure out how I'm going to become an artist. And so I started researching the top art schools in the country. And, uh, you know, I'm very analytical. So I wanted to know where <laughs> I can get a really good job. And so I researched all the animation studios that I loved. And I researched Pixar and I found uh, their jobs page. And I was trying to do research of, you know, what art schools they recruit from so I can go check out those art schools. But I found actually a job opportunity uh, that matched my skills pretty well. And it was a description for a production scheduler. And they were looking for someone with an economics and finance background, which I had. Uh, and then they were also looking for someone who could build, build spreadsheets and build reports. 
And so I applied and two weeks later I got hired and I was at Pixar. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It was very, I feel like God really had, you know, looking back on all these years, it's just been part of the, this plan. You know, I, I really do feel mm -hmm. that a lot of things that has happened in my life has just kind of unfolded in the way it's supposed to. You can never see it going forward. But when you look back, you're like, oh yeah, that's, that was part of it, you know? And so at Pixar, I was there for three years and that's where I saw the creative process. I saw how, how you can make something as an artist that, that touches people and changes people's lives. <laughs> and maybe most importantly, I saw, I saw that I wanted to be a storyteller, that that was the main difference between Pixar and lots of other studios that they cared so much about story and every single story was amazing. And I wanted to be a storyteller, not just an artist. I wanted to be a storyteller then. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when do you go to art center? Three years at Pixar. I was taking classes on the weekends. I was sitting on every single art meeting I could just to soak it up all in. And I mm -hmm. felt lucky being there, but I was still making spreadsheets, you know, in my job 90% right. of the time. Uh, and I just got to a point where I had to decide, do I give up my art dream and become a manager, which, you know, is on the table. If you're there long enough and you learn the creative process, you manage people, or mm -hmm. do I jump ship and go another route? And so uh, I had made a lot of friends in the art department and pretty much at, at Pixar, people come from two main schools, either CalArts and a lot of animators come from CalArts or a lot of the designers came from Art Center. And that's when I discovered Art Center and I thought, hey, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this all the way. I'm gonna go to the best school. And so I flew down mm -hmm. Art Center. I had the tour of the, of the main building with the bridge and I just fell in love and I knew that this was my school. And so mm -hmm. um, that's how I landed Art, Art Center. Um, there's a mini story in there. If you'd like to hear about the financing part, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I'm very analytical and, you know, I had a whole spreadsheet about the financing art center. Art center is very expensive as you know. Yeah. And, you know, my dad was the, the, the conversation I had with my dad was what, you're not going to business school. You're going to go art school. And he told me this is like the worst idea <laughs> that I could. Of course. Yeah, yeah, this is just not a prudent. And I told him, I, Dad, I'm going to figure it out. And, and, um, and that this is what I want to do. It's not based on logic per se, but this is based on I want to become an artist in the world. And this is going to be the best school for me. So um, I'm a person of faith. And I calculated um, how much money I would need. And I said, God, if you want me to go to Art Center, you're going to give me, I told him, you're going to give me a $10,000 scholarship <laughs> at least. Otherwise, I can't go. <laughs> and so I apply. And of course, I get nothing from scholarship. <laughs> and already I had put the motions, at, uh, the wheels in motion uh, at Pixar where I was going to go. And yeah. so it was kind of too late to turn back. It's not so cool to say to your employer, oh, I was just kidding about leaving. I'm going to come back. <laughs> um and I was, I was a little bit at loss of what to do. And uh, at the time, Finding Nemo um, had just hit the box office and it was making so much money that the company um, gave everybody two months of additional pay as a bonus. Wow. I, the day that they handed out the bonus was the day before my last day. 
And if I had, if my, if, if my last day was two days before, I would not have gotten that bonus. And that bonus paid for the first term of Art Center. That's a great story. Yeah. And to me, that was just like, okay, you don't have to have everything figured out. This is a sign. Mm -hmm. Just go do it. And, you know, when I landed Art Center, <laughs> I had a whole lot of motivation to make it worth it. <laughs> mm. So being that you're a man of faith, you asked God to come in the front door and you waited, but God came in the back door. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's that happens a lot in life that things don't things don't always happen the way you plan them, but they happen somehow. <laughs> okay. So I think it's now what, 2003? Yes. You're at that's Art right. Okay. Three years later, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you decide to study illustration? That's right. Okay. So take us uh, any kind of bits in the story arc there that, that stand out? Um, I think probably the the key moment at Art Center, there were a lot of key moments, but the main ones mm -hmm. were that I thought going in, I was going to become a designer for movies. I thought I was going to either be like a storyboard artist or a conceptual artist. That's what everyone at Art Center dreams about being, right? And then I took a children's book illustration class with Stephen Turk. Um, do you know him, by the way? No, I don't. Oh, he's he's great. Really, really great person. Um, and it changed my life because I was like, no, this is what I want to do. I want to make my own stories. I want to write them. I want to illustrate them. I want to own the intellectual property. I want to do the whole thing. And so this is where I, I felt like uh, it was another step in my journey is that Pixar helped me learn that I want to be a storyteller and also the creative process and how much work goes into making a story great and all the details. Um, and then at Art Center, I found, I rediscovered this love of picture books, which, you know, I hadn't really thought a lot about picture books then. Uh, but I knew coming out of Art Center that my goal was not to actually go work at Pixar. It was to become a picture book author and illustrator. Hmm. Yeah. Now, you're a little bit uh, older when you go to Art Center, right? Yeah, 26. And then mm -hmm. I graduated when I'm 30, when I was 30. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which okay. used to be the, the norm. Art Center has gotten kind right. of younger, right? Yes. So picture books, you discover your love for picture books. And this is, is this like where you're headed next in your journey? Yeah. So, well, the next stop is actually just getting a job because becoming a picture book author and illustrator, you need to get a, a contract from a publishing company. And um, it doesn't pay very well to start off with. And I had um, I had over $200,000 in loans, even with scholarship and paying that first semester, uh, first term with my own money <laughs> and also cashing mm -hmm. out some retirement funds, I still came out with $200,000 of loans. And so I needed to get a job. And so my first job was actually at Disney as a um, development artist for a video game project they were working on. And this was uh, right before the economic crash in 2008. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. So I was really lucky. Um, I think the term after I graduated, it was really hard to get a job, but I graduated right before the crash and got that job mm -hmm. at Disney. Um, and I worked there for a year and then they started cutting. And then I got, I, I basically moved to Seattle for another job um, and just kind of wrote out that economic downturn um, at, in video game companies. And I just went from video game company to video game company 
And meanwhile, I was working on my own children's books. I was learning the things that you don't learn in school um, about storytelling and storytelling with picture books in particular, because it's a very specific format. It's a very specific age. And um, there's just a lot of things that you don't know, or there's not a lot of places to learn sort of that craft. Um, so I started learning that. And then eventually I got my first picture book deal in 2012, which was Ninja. And that led me to um, becoming a picture book author and illustrator, which is the next part of my journey. Mm -hmm. What makes, what are the qualities that make a book a picture book? Well, the first thing I'd say is it's the age group. So picture books mm -hmm. are specifically for kids from the age of about three or four to about seven or eight. Uh, so those books have to engage those kids' imaginations. Um, there's a heavy, heavy emphasis on pictures and, and the combination of pictures and words for storytelling. So it's both the content and the characters as well as sort of the format. And uh, there's uh, picture books are usually 32 or 40 pages, so they're not very long either. So there's a lot to squeeze in into 40 pages and to be very efficient with your storytelling. Mm -hmm. I have a, a lot of fond memories around picture books. And growing up in America as an immigrant, it's not that my parents understood what these things were. Mm -hmm. And I remember we would have, uh, I think they call them like the book fair, where there's uh, like uh, this, this big truck would drive up and they would have books and your, your parents were supposed to give you money. Yeah, the Scholastic right? Book Fair, parents, right? Yeah. So my, my, my parents didn't always understand that. So I always go in there and look at these books and be mesmerized by the artwork. Mm -hmm. The stories didn't always live up to the art, but it was like, wow, this is so cool. Yeah. I I have those same memories. It's it's magical, right? When the, mm -hmm. Whether it be the bookmobile or these book fairs open up a whole new yeah. world and, it, and hopefully it hooks you as a reader and hopefully you become a reader ever since. But um, yeah, picture books are pretty magical. I still love them yeah. a lot. Okay, so you're working at video game companies, uh, doing art. Yeah, I started art directing and, and whatnot. And, and then you, you've got your first book out, right? Mm -hmm. Because you, you secured a publishing deal. Who is the publisher? Uh, Macmillan. Mm -hmm. um, so a side story there is, uh, I, for anybody who's interested in, in writing and illustrating picture books, um, you should check out SCBWI, stands for Society of Children's Books Writers and Illustrators. Um, so I went to a lot of their conferences and Ninja was, um, was reviewed at one of the workshops and that's where, um, I met my agent and, uh, an editor from both Macmillan as well as another editor from Penguin were there. And that's where they saw Ninja and, um, they both bidded on Ninja and it became my first contract, um, but I wanted to kind of mention that because at the time I was actually pretty miserable working at the video game companies because we were making lots of mobile games and I just didn't care for the, the content. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I wanted to mention this because I think it's a pretty important part of my journey is, you know, as an artist, when I went, um, when I dreamed up about becoming an artist and I was at Pixar, I think there was this purity of, being proud of what you make and wanting to make something that was going to 
affect the world in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And when I landed at video game companies, their primary um, motivation is to make money. <laughs> and so we were just chasing the next trend. Um, and actually, the company I worked at was pretty innovative. They they made a game called It's Girl. <laughs> and the whole point of the game, Chris, is to be the hottest girl. <laughs> <laughs> Something I know a lot about. So, <laughs> And the way you become the hottest girl is by buying the hottest, latest clothing line clothing in in these virtual stores and i led the team that would design the stores and design the clothing line and i had a team of about 14 people and it was basically like a factory where we're making virtual items and this game made over 10 million dollars a year (laughs) in playing this small team uh and but although i was making pretty good money i was you know, compensated well as sort of the manager and art director, I was miserable. I, I just felt mm-hmm. this couldn't be part of my journey and my story where I go to Pixar and part of these amazing movies. I learned so much to, you know, I, I take this big gamble to go to art school to end up here to make girly clothes for a game that I don't care about or believe in. <laughs> right. And it was just killing me inside. And I, I bring this up as a point because I think that pain was really the thing that made me put extra work into making my dream come true. And so every day after my job, I would go to Starbucks and I would just work on my picture book. It was my way out. It was it was sort of the thing that I thought this was going to help me um, achieve the creative freedom that I craved for. Mm-hmm. Now it didn't create. It did give me creative freedom much later in terms of you know I now make things that I care about and love and I have control over that, but it didn't necessarily have the income part, which is you know we'll get to that when we talk about business. But um, mm-hmm. but that was a that was a big breaking point for me because at least I was now making work that I loved and cared about and felt good about in the world. Mm-hmm. How much was the book deal worth? Yeah, so initially the the first bid was $12,000 to write and illustrate the book. But Macmillan and Penguin got into a bidding war, which is really great for you <laughs> and really good to have an agent to help you navigate those waters. And so we closed at uh, $25,000. Wow. So not too bad. What do you think, yeah. Chris? I think that's really good. So you you got an advance basically on the sales of the books, right? Yes, Yes. Okay. So now you get the deal. Are you able to um, clear out your schedule so you can focus on doing this? I worked at a, so I quit my job uh, and found a different art directing job at another game company, which is a whole nother story we have to get into. But in, in, in summary, that, that company, it was a startup, really didn't work out. And then I had time to focus on, on picture books. So Mm-hmm. Um, when I made Ninja, I was still working. I was I was doing both. I was coming home and working extra hard, and then um, and then I made a transition to becoming a picture book author illustrator full time. But I learned quickly that that is very difficult to support yourself. So I had yeah. I actually I made really good money as an art director in in, um, in video games. You know, I think my salary was about 120,000. So I was mm-hmm. able to chip away at, at, at the school loans and still save money. And 
I had a fancy, a, over a really fancy, expensive apartment in San Francisco, <laughs> mm-hmm. which took forever to get. In retrospect, I wish I didn't, I didn't move there because I felt like I wasted all that money on rent. <laughs> but when I made the leap to become a children's book author, illustrator, I moved back to my parents' house and I just, you know, the most important thing was, was time. You know, I didn't want to work to pay rent. Um, and I wanted to buy myself time to be able to create my own stories and my own businesses. And that's mm-hmm. pretty much what I've done ever since, um, joining this journey of becoming an author, illustrator and creative entrepreneur. Mm. I have to ask you a question at this point in the storyline, you've had a couple of different jobs since graduating from art center. You worked at Disney and a handful of video game companies and that decision that your dad or the advice that your dad gave you about don't go into this, this is not a good idea. How has that uh, opinion changed? Yeah, at so this point, it, it, it didn't, didn't. So, uh, <laughs> so my, you know, when my dad um, saw me become an art director, he was relieved and proud. Yes, yes. You know, mm-hmm. he was proud that I was making good money. I was able to start paying off my loans. You know, the number one thing he said before all this is, how are you going to pay this debt back? How are you going to support a family? How are you going to support yourself? You right. don't want to be 40 years old and, and broke and not having, not being able to have a family or support anybody. Um, mm-hmm. That was his warning. And, you know, in some, some ways, a lot of that became true is that, you know, as I got into my mid thirties and my late thirties, I still didn't have a lot of money. I still had debt, you know, the 200 went to a hundred and then like 70, right. you know, it was mm-hmm. this big looming yeah. monkey on your back, which, you know, it gives me very mixed feelings about our center because I love our center, but at the same time, it's been a it's been a huge burden. <laughs> that mm-hmm. debt is 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 real, um, and so I think a lot of things that my dad said there were true, uh, and they came true. And he was just trying to help me. I, I, you know, I recognize where that fear came from from him. Um, he did have some relief that hey, you can make more money as an art director. When I got the art director jobs, um, my dad actually um, became ill. He was, he's been a smoker his whole life, and he, mm-hmm. he got lung cancer, and it started spreading. And pretty much in a period of two months, he passed away. Oh, no. Um, yeah, it was, you know, I was back in the area. I was here. I was so grateful that I had a high-paying job when he died. So that way, mm-hmm. he sort of died with some peace. Um, mm. But I have to tell you the story, Chris, because I okay. think it's it's hilarious and kind of it's true to my dad. So my dad's on his deathbed and he like says, you know, come closer. I want to tell you something. And I, I lean in. And I'm like, yeah, what is it, dad? And I'm anticipating, you know, something that would you'd remember for your life and hopefully right. feels good. And he yeah. tells me you still made a mistake going to art center. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. (laughs) Are these the last words from your dad to you? It's like, you made his mistake, son. You still, he said, uh, he said, (laughs) his exact words were, you know, when you're young, I didn't worry about you at all. I knew that you could figure things out, but that was a big mistake. And that was still your biggest mistake. (laughs) (laughs) And I was shocked for a second. And then I thought, that's good to know that you're still here, dad. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>
Anyway. Oh, my God. It's hilarious. He wasn't – I don't know how to even respond to that. <laughs> you know, it's it's your life and, you know, you yeah. have to navigate those things. But he was right in a lot of ways and wrong in a lot of other ways. Like, has my right. life been uh, stable and, you know, consistent? No. And, yes, you had a ton of debt. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't be doing all the things I'm doing now without chasing my dreams. So yeah, I don't regret that. <laughs> and your 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 dream chasing has taken more curves and turns and twists than than most. I have to say. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. yeah I, I feel like I feel that you know in life we're we're all very unique individuals, and I think um, the more turns and twists that you go on, if you're really pursuing your you know, your inner voice and your passion, um, hopefully you're realizing, you know, the thing that you're meant to do. Do you feel mm-hmm. that way, Chris? Because you've gone through a lot of twists and turns in your your story, and I, I really admire your story um, as well. It's, it's kind of interesting that you, you, you asked that, because I always thought, like, my path is pretty straight. Like, once I figured out what I wanted to do with my life, it's gone on a pretty direct path. It's It's bent a little bit, and the big break was when I started the future. Right. But for like 20 years, it was kind of like moving in a very linear direction. I guess here's the question I have for you. Mm-hmm. Is, do you feel, looking back, that the mm-hmm. future and what you're doing now is what you were always meant to do? I believe so, 100%. Yeah. That, and that's what I mean. Is like, I think, you know, starting blind, start having, having real life, um, experience in business and as a designer and growing company has enabled you to really give so much value to everyone else who is a designer and doesn't know business and doesn't know how to like the things I love that you do is you teach people how to value themselves and value their work and how to market themselves. And, um, and I think that's what you're here for. You know, (laughs) that's one of Mm. of the things that you do so great that I appreciate so much. Well, thank you. I, I feel like I've lived a pretty blessed life and have been able to do things that I never dreamt possible. And so now it's my obligation to help others along their journey. Yeah. You're doing a great job, Chris. And, you know. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I've been watching your YouTube videos, you know, for many years before I finally signed up as a pro member. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I I think there were a lot of mindset growths that you've you've helped me make breakthroughs on in my journey and you're affect mm. you were affecting me before you, you know you didn't even know who i was time for a quick break but we'll be right back with more from rhm when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply If you're a small business owner, this is for you because running a business is just plain hard sometimes. Endless to-do lists, employees to take care of, and your ever-present bottom line. 
So first of all, kudos to you for staying on top of it. Now, I want to tell you about Gusto. Gusto built an easier and more affordable way to manage payroll, benefits, and all that other really exciting stuff you love to do. They help over 100,000 businesses with tasks like automated payroll tax filing, simple direct deposits, free health insurance administration, 401ks, onboarding tools, you get where I'm going here. You name it, Gusto does it, and they keep it easy. They also really care about the small business owners that they work with. And I can attest to that because I happen to use Gusto for my own business. True story. Their support team is attentive and helpful, and since money can be tight right now, you'll even get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com future and start setting up your business today. You'll see what I mean when I say easy, because it really is. Again, that's three months of free payroll at gusto.com slash future. Welcome back to our conversation with Ari Chun. Well, I want to get to our chance encounter yeah. at some point here. Yeah. But I'm still trying to figure out where we are in the storyline here. So yeah. you're in the Bay Area. You're, you're moved back in with your parents, right? And then your father passes away and you're still trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what year is this now? So this is about 2014, 15. Okay, we're getting closer to present day. Yeah. Okay. So I got my book deal in 2012. My book came out in 2014. My dad passed away, I think, in 2012 or 13. Okay. Um, so that's where we are in the timeline. Uh, and then I basically quit my job as um as an art director i i worked mm-hmm. at another art directing company i mean at another game company and that was a a really difficult startup because uh just the management there was uh, really unorganized very toxic situation so mm-hmm. uh i was but that was you know all these hard things that you go through in your life are really blessings in disguise um i don't know about you tell me if this is true for you but you know, all the hardest moments I've had in my professional career always led to the next pivot that was what I need to do anyway, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. you know, at Pixar, um, I was pretty bored after three years of making reports. I needed to make that mm-hmm. decision. And so that was a hard decision to leave some some place that you love so much and you felt yeah. like you were missing out. And then at this, at, at, at that last game company for me, it was, my gosh, how many art director jobs I'm going to take and still feel unfulfilled. And this latest startup, I was so hopeful that, you know, that the company would grow and we would make, you know, lots of money as a company and my stock options were going to be worth lots of money and I would pay off all my loans. That was, that was the dream. Right. Mm-hmm. And instead it was chaotic. The company was not making money. Um, there was a very tight timeline for us to release games, you know, management was kind of all over the place. And for me, it was like, I didn't want to go through that again. I, I was like, I'm helping build other people's companies here and, and I'd rather just go on my own. (laughs) But did Mm -hmm. you have that experience where, you know, the hardest pivots in your career led to the next best thing? Yeah, but there's that really uncomfortable valley between those two points when you realize you need to be doing something else. Yeah. And then after it works out, the part in the middle is really messy and difficult and full of unknowns and variables. And it's very scary. Yeah, it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it seems like this whole time you're searching for something. You're not even quite sure what it is yet, mm-hmm. but 
back for when you were being your, your Excel jockey days and then you moved to Pixar. So it was doing similar work just for a cooler company, right? Yes, much cooler company. <laughs> right, yes. So then then it's like, no, I still don't have that fulfillment. There's something missing in my life. Right. And then the chance uh, the, or the, the idea that now you're going to go to art school, you're still finding and looking for that thing. And then you wind up in a bunch of video game companies um, and it's still that that itch that you want to scratch isn't there and you just you're still looking for it and I, I love that about your story where you're you're kind of happy with what you have but you're always looking at is this really it for me is this my life yeah i think the the part that i found that art center gave me is for the first time i had the ability to create with my hands i think mm. that's the the powerful thing and i believe i believe everyone's creative do you believe that chris i do i do 100 percent and so I think this is where we overlap a lot. I actually believe drawing should be something that's taught in schools and it's just as important as writing and just as important as math because drawing is the way you visually communicate, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And mm -hmm. so for me, Art Center was was something filled the hole that I needed because when I when I realized I want to be an artist, what I was really learning was I want to be a visual communicator and be able to tell stories. So. I was able to do that and then jobs in retrospect just became soul sucking because I wasn't, I wasn't telling stories. I was making art assets to make money in these ridiculous ways. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that was, you know, kind of soul sucking in the sense that I didn't feel like I was fulfilling my mission or doing the thing I was supposed to. I, I knew just deep down that this wasn't my, my path, my journey. I had to get off this train as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what what brings you to the next arc or bump in your storyline here? Yeah, so um, I go through a, a, a period of about two or three years mm -hmm. where I am working really hard on making books, making um, making a career out of it, making enough money to pay the bills. So my income comes goes from you know one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year to. 30, 35,000, <laughs> which 90% of that goes to my student loan. And I'm, you know, right. living at home and, and um, living with my mom and my brother. And, you know, my dad's passed away. And, mm -hmm. you know, you have this, like, a little bit of guilt and shame, you know, in some ways, you feel that maybe you're not as far as you should be in life or as successful. Mm -hmm. And, but, um, and you have these thoughts of, you know, maybe I should just get a job and you have other friends that, you know, go work at Google and other places and they're telling you that, oh, I could probably get you in or there's an opportunity. But then you're like, no, I'm going to stay true to the dream, <laughs> you know, being independent, right? Making, making a career out of my own creativity. And I knew that that was what I always wanted. And so I, so the next bump in, in the story is um, I had a chance encounter or not encounter. I came upon, um, a post from a friend that I that I went to college with. Her name is Jen, um, and Jen and her husband Steve had started um, their own online business. And Steve runs the My Wife Quit Her Job podcast, and so uh, I learned about their journey of how they started an online business and how they um, were able to create a lifestyle business where mm -hmm. um, they had an online store makes millions of dollars and then steve 
actually has a whole program teaching how to build an online store. And so I thought, hey, this is this I've always was interested in being an entrepreneur. I actually think this was a dream before I even wanted to become an artist. Um, right. And so I signed up for his class. I worked really hard for a couple of years building a my first online business, mm -hmm. which was called Live in a Story. So I saw all these wall decals that were being sold online mm -hmm. and I thought the quality was really bad. <laughs> I thought the artwork looked atrocious and I thought, oh, I can do something so much nicer and better. Mm -hmm. And so I started this company to make wall decals in the children's using children's book artwork. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I started this with a couple of friends um, and we tried really hard for a year and a half and I learned so much about building a business. So, you know, we closed a year and a half later. I lost about forty, fifty thousand $50,000 in the whole process. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. This is, you know, inst instead of chipping away at, instead of paying rent or chipping away at, at my loans more, I, I, I invest in that business, but, um, I learned so much though. It was one of the best things I ever did, even though that mm -hmm. it was painful. <laughs> we tried really hard. I researched like crazy. And then I learned how to make a physical product. We bought our own printers. We rented an office space, <laughs> all that, all these things that wow. I'm like, Oh, those are all mistakes actually. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of questions here. One is where did you get the 40 to $50,000 to invest in your business when you're still trying to pay off your student loans? So when I was at, um, in, in the art directing jobs, I was, I knew that I wanted to start something. So I wasn't making extra payments. I was just doing the minimum payments. And so mm -hmm. I had about, um, yeah, about fifty, sixty thousand dollars saved up because I knew I, I wanted see. to have some margin there. Mm -hmm. um, but it all kind of hit the. Uh, so the money came from two places. I had money saved up there, and then I was still making books. So when you make books and you get the next contract, you get that advance. Mm -hmm. And what's kind of nice with advance is when you sign a two or three book contract, for a short period of time, you feel rich because the contract right. is for you know, 70 or $80,000 or $90,000 and you get a check for half of it right away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what no one tells you is that, Hey, that's got to last you the next year and a half. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. So you have mm -hmm. to basically budget really well. Uh, but to be honest, in that point, I spent that money in the business and we, right. we, we had, we made revenue, but we didn't, you know, we were losing money in the business. We spent more money than we made. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's where the money came from is a combination of, of savings from the art director job um, to advance in the future. Um, mm -hmm. But money was super tight and I was still paying my student loans, which was, mm. you know, about $1,800 every month. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So what went wrong in this decal business? Why didn't it work out? Yeah, I think there's two main lessons here. Mm -hmm. um, the simple answer is that I never had product market fit. And, you know, there's a bigger answer to what is product market fit, but uh, <laughs> essentially what product market fit means that uh, you can find customers that are, that are willing to pay what you're offering, pay you the price you want for the offering you have. Mm -hmm. And so this is the number one mistake that I made was I assumed I knew better than the market. I was, you know, a little bit snobby in my art artistic taste. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. and I made a higher quality product and I was aiming to charge a lot more. So while decals, the market's 10, 15 bucks, 20 bucks, I made a premium product and I thought I could find the uh, people to spend hundreds of dollars on their wall decals. Wow. And the, the comparison, this is really where we failed is, you know, if you saw our wall decals, they're gorgeous. There, there's no um, outlines. They look like they're paints. They, they look like a mural painted on the wall. Mm -hmm. So I did not know how to market and sell it properly. I did not know how to convey that value. In retrospect, I think that there is a market for high-end wall decals, but you're going to sell to interior designers. You're going to sell to, to you're not trying to compete with low-end cheap wall decals. Right. You're trying to compete with instead of hiring a muralist that's going to take 2 weeks to paint this hand-painted thing and have all these fumes in your house, why not get these wall decals that look like paint? Your designer can can help you design the perfect children's book room or children's room and instead of paying 10 grand you'll pay two <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh our number one failing is that we never found the way to market and sell to those customers i didn't know how to find them and i didn't know how mm -hmm. to to sell to them and this is really where you know i think i had i've, I've had some big growths in terms of mindset and around marketing and selling and frankly i didn't know what that really was before then. <laughs> um so that that was the, the number one reason why we failed i'd say the number mm -hmm. two reason is that as an artist i cared so much about the quality of the product i spent all my time developing the product very little time marketing it and right. and we spent so much time making this thing you know it's we had our own printers. We spent so much money on development and looking back, we never had a chance to succeed. I, I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even market long enough for us to make enough money to, we just spent all our time developing this thing and we didn't launch fast enough. Mm -hmm. If I had to do it all over again, I would spend 70, 80% of my time on finding product market fit. I would yeah. have sold decals at a loss just to find what, like, what is the price point that they're going to pay at what kind of quality level? Mm -hmm. And then I would have, you know, I would have made these samples and sold them locally. I would have sold them at a loss and then find the right manufacturer in China and ship them over and then scale the business profitably then. So yeah. I just know a ton more now than I did then. But that was the reason why yeah. I basically failed. Mm. There's a lot of classic things that you do that artists do and mm -hmm. artists in any description of creative uh, execution or implementation. But it's like we believe in our idea so much that we invest in it without finding a customer first. Yeah, that's exactly. And you you went whole hog. You bought the equipment. You just and you thought miraculously customers would appear because the idea was so good. It had to work. Failure at that point was like not even part of the part of your mindset right it was not an option and then you didn't know how to find the customer if you don't know how to right. find a customer you don't have you don't have a business <laughs> right right you have to find the customer first okay now I, i'm going to jump forward in the story because the, the exciting part is really coming up because you're hearing a lot of the trials and tribulations that ari is going through now this is totally random mm -hmm. uh, where you and i our, our stories intersect a little bit here right uh, i'm at earth cafe in pasadena and it's grad show, and I'm there with Melinda. 
and I'm walking by and I think it's Earth Cafe and you were sitting there with a few friends, I believe. Yeah, my old roommates. Yeah. Right. And you're like, hey, I know you. <laughs> and we chat a little bit, right? And I, I'm not I'm not trying to say that uh, anything about myself, but I have encounters like this at random places more and more these days. Yeah. So I was like, I, I wonder who this guy is. But it turned out you're, you're like a super legitimate person who has got uh, a whole art background. And now I find out a whole entrepreneurial background and something else happens in here, too. So I want to just set up the uh, set you up for the next part, which is the part that's the really the reason why it's just like what you've done. It's blown me away. <laughs> in so many different ways. So can you just set that part up and let's get into the this part of your, your story? Yeah, so after that first failed business, I was licking my wounds and I yeah. started thinking of what my next business would be. I'm pretty stubborn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so I started a business called, called uh, Storyteller Academy. Mm -hmm. I knew that becoming a picture book author illustrated was a bucket goal. It was something that was so important to me. And it was even outside of money. I, I just wanted to achieve this goal and create things for kids. Um, and so I started this online school called Storyteller Academy. And, you know, we've grown it over the last four years and I've been operating the business. And that's when I met you. Um, and I thought we had so much in common in terms of, you know, we're both teaching artists and, right. um, and I'd been listening to your um, YouTube videos for a long time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so fast forward, uh, I've been growing the business, operating it. We've had some great years. We've had some hard years, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of the marketing things that were working are no longer working. You've got to figure out how to switch. And I think I was really interested in learning, and I still am actually, in how to um, grow YouTube following and sort of content marketing, because that's, that's where we're pretty weak on. We don't do a lot of that. Um, mm -hmm. Our whole business has been built on Facebook ads. Um, and for the most part, uh, what we do is we either run a Facebook ad to a webinar, either a live webinar or a recorded webinar that teaches you something, gives you a lot of value, and then gives you an offer of, hey, if you want to join, here's, you know, here's where you can join, and here's a discount, or here's a bonus, or whatever it is that you're, you're, you're giving them as an incentive. Um, so that's what I was sort of doing in the last uh, four or five years. Meanwhile, making picture books, which has also taken a lot of time. And then uh, more recently, when COVID hit, um, you know, everyone's world got turned upside down. <laughs> and, uh, and I guess this is uh, this is part of the story where uh, should I get into this part now, Chris? What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Before you do that, um, I, can you explain to people what Storyteller Academy is, though? Yeah, so Storyteller Academy is an online school for people who dream about becoming picture book authors and illustrators. Mm -hmm. And we teach them everything from how to write stories to how to draw, how to paint. Um, basically, it's, it's an online school of, uh, of learning how to um, build the skills you'll need to become an author and illustrator. Um, mm -hmm. And now I'm actually teaching business classes as, there as well. Mm -hmm. So this is for... People who want to do what you do, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. And in, in terms of probably even how to get an agent, how to go to these book fairs and exactly negotiations, all that stuff. Okay. Yep. Beautiful. And so that business is still growing and, and mm -hmm. you know, it's doing great. Um, this is really where I've learned my entrepreneurial chops. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, 
my first business, I really didn't know what I was doing. And this is the business that I've, you know, learned how to hire, learn how to scale a team, learn how to run ads, learn how, uh, I had product market fit right away, which was great. So we were profitable right away. And so it's also allowed me to grow my income and make a semi-passive income. Mm -hmm. uh, so we teach live, so it's not a passive thing and we right. still run marketing, but it, time-wise it's, it's, it's really good. Um, mm -hmm. and it allows me to make picture books and I can earn a healthy living from having this online business as well as making picture books on the side. And with picture books, the, the goal is that you're making some books that become bestsellers and then you earn passive income through them. Right. Uh, but I think a, another key point to, in the timeline is, you know, I have this really big idea about, um, using color theory to talk about diversity. Um, like when I had this idea, I was like, oh my gosh, that's such a good idea. I wonder if someone's done this story before and no one had. And then I spent two years developing this uh, story and it became mixed. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I, I'm bringing this up because mixed has um, won awards and it's potentially moving into film rights now. Ooh. Yeah. So there's a lot of exciting things and it's actually been, um, you know, a, a big theme in this story has been um, making artwork that you're proud of, that is going to live in the world and make the world a better place. Yeah. You know, and Mix is that book that um, Ninja also, you know, makes kids happy and I'm so proud of it. But Mix mm -hmm. is really the book that, that, that I felt like the world needed. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I felt like God gave me this beautiful story to bring to the world. And, um, and Storyteller Academy allowed me to not work a job and allowed me to work on making books. And I had time to make mixed. Um, and I, and mix, yeah, mix is kind of come into the world. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Now, now we got to get to the, the story about COVID and the pandemic and the plan before and then what happens afterwards. Yeah. So, um, I still have at this point, I have still about $80,000 of debt from art center. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I'm 42 and I just feel like I am so tired of debt. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, there are days where I have bad days where I feel like I'm mm -hmm. a failure. I don't feel like I'm very far in my life. You know, I don't have family. I don't really don't have any assets. You know, I work mm -hmm. hard. Um, I have some business entities, but we're not like millionaires or anything. And I have mm -hmm. all this debt and, and, you know, it's really easy to get negative sometimes. Um, I'm overall a very positive person, but uh, I have those days. And, yeah. um, and at the beginning of this year, I also had some hard discussions with my family and, you know, you just want to help out and you don't want to feel like you're a burden ever. And yeah. I made it my goal to get out of debt this year. I just said, you know what, I'm too old to have debt and I'm going to do whatever mm -hmm. it needs to get done. So mm -hmm. I start opening myself up to these new opportunities that I would have said no to before. Um, you know, I have freelancing opportunities come to me all the time. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do this freelancing job with this company and help them develop their app. I'm going to do this art camp with, with this company for kids. Um, and I negotiated a pretty good fee of, you know, I was going to teach a whole week for this in camp, uh, in, in person camp. 
and uh, the, to attend this camp, it would be three hundred fifty dollars. No, yeah, no, I think yeah, like three hundred fifty or five hundred dollars mm-hmm. for the whole week, and there's going to be thirty six kids, and so I put a lot of work into developing this program for that week. Mm-hmm. and I was lining up these new income sources and then COVID hit and all these opportunities disappeared overnight. <laughs> right. Because obviously you can't have an in-person camp. Uh, mm-hmm. The app company, um, they were scrambling just to figure out how to have people work from home. <laughs> and right. so all these opportunities, you know, disappeared. And I had a moment where I was like, how is this going to affect me and how is this going to affect, you know, my student loans and, and storyteller academy at the time was, um, I think I was in a little bit of a negative place, meaning I was, I was so cautious about, uh, spending money and right. I didn't want to, um, I never want to risk the business. You know, you never, as a, as a business owner, you never want to, um, you never want to run out of cash. Right. And so, mm-hmm with all these other income sources drying up, I had a moment where I thought I'm either going to um, figure out a way to invest and be aggressive and find the silver lining to how things have changed. Or I think I'm going to like, I think it's going to be really hard and I'm going to either find how to be positive and how to give value in this, in this new time or I just felt like we're going to have to write it out and kind of live through, you know, being a little more fearful, but being cautious. Yeah. And so um, a couple of things happened is I applied for the PPP loan. So we got a little bit extra cash in the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just thought on a whim because I saw all these parents and all these educators freaking out about what are they going to do with their kids? And I just thought, Hey, why don't I just, take all the content that I was going to do in person and let me just do it for free. And my goal was let me help people and let me just grow my email list for free. <laughs> Why yeah. not? Right. Mm-hmm. And so you already done the work, right? Yeah. I already yeah. planned all the work and, mm-hmm. uh, and let's just see where it goes. And so I posted on Facebook, people started sharing like crazy. And in one week we had over 3000 signups for mm. a free camp. Um, and so then I taught that camp for free for a whole week. Uh, and I was not planning on extending it. That was like sort of one and done. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was a lot of work. I taught every single day. There were, you know, this is live teaching over zoom. Yes. Live teaching over zoom. And you see all the Mm -hmm. kids faces. And there was also a lot of learning of how to teach kids over zoom and all the controls. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The first day was a complete disaster, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. But you know, they got their money's worth. It was free. Yes, exactly. But yeah. there we got Zoom bomb. They were like, it was Oh my God. It was <laughs> uh the chat, they were profanity in the chat. Someone took over yeah. my screen. <laughs> someone oh even God. drew, I gotta tell you, someone even drew a penis on the screen <laughs> with little kids on. I was like, oh my gosh. People are terrible. They're terrible people out there. <laughs> Yeah, but I didn't give up. The next day, I fixed yeah. it. I took off all the yeah. controls. I fixed it. So right. the silver lining is like, you know, you just got to go figure it out, fix it. It's okay to fail. You just yeah. got to fix it fast. If anything, there's so much pressure for you to fix it because you're having so many people complain. <laughs> so it forces you to grow fast. But 
at the end of that month, I mean, at the end of the free week, all these parents were like, are you going to continue? You know, our kids are still at home. And mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I don't know. I'm so busy with Storyteller Academy, which is a real business. This is just a side thing I did for free. Mm-hmm. And then they said, we'll pay you, we'll pay you, we'll pay you. And I'm like, is this going to make enough money to be worth my time? You know, and I'm I'm in the future at this point, And we're talking about like branding yourself and what is the one thing you're doing and going to be known for. And, you know, at that point I was teaching adults. I wasn't teaching kids. Right. And, and I have another friend who's a marketing um, consultant. And she said, Ari, these people are asking you for an offer. You need to come up with an offer like right now, this weekend. Right. And you need to give it to them right now. It's like, it's now or never. The window of opportunity. Yes. Yeah. And, and so over Saturday, I just, you know, I have a big heart for all the parents that are struggling. I knew that there were lots of people losing their jobs. And so let yeah. me let me put together something that's going to help them for the next three weeks. And let me make it ridiculously cheap. So I said, okay, mm-hmm. $47 for an everyday mm-hmm. creativity camp for the next three weeks. So it's three weeks for $47 every single day. Mm-hmm. And I just made more time in my schedule. I just worked harder and, and slept a little bit less. Um, and we did it. And, uh, you know, I had... All of it was profit because I had not spent any money on ads or anything. And I was just. Oh, really? Yeah. This was. So the 3,000 people that signed up, you have their emails. So you just email those 3,000. Exactly. And we had. Beautiful. And we had like 160,000. I mean, 160 sales. And that Mm -hmm. ended up being about $9,000. Okay. Which is not too bad for three weeks. No. It's not too shabby. Yeah. It was a lot of work, though, at the end of three weeks. So what happened then three was was everyone's. Because this is when we're like, oh, this thing's going to go away in a month, right? Yeah. And then at the end of three weeks, we're like, this thing's not going away. It's getting mm-hmm. worse. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Is this going to, like, what's going to happen? And we, everyone's freaking out. And then so I just said to the parents, because they started asking me, like, are you going to extend it? Are you going to extend it? We still need you. You can't go. You can't end this now. Like, this is the thing that allows me to work in the afternoon and my kid loves your camp. Yeah. And so I said, okay. Let's do another three weeks. And this time, this is when I'm like, all right, it's game on. I'm going to take all my marketing skills that I've taken from Storyteller Academy. I'm going to take this $9,000. I'm spending $1,000 for Teachable to put all the replays. And I'm putting mm-hmm. the rest in ads. And so then we went from uh, from 3,000 people on our email list to 14,000. Um, and that's all through running Facebook ads. I did mm-hmm. another free week of, hey, this is Creativity Camp for free. Sign up for this this free week. And then at the end of the free week, I said, we're starting the paid camp. You know, you've got three days to sign up, <laughs> right? And you're either in or mm-hmm. out. And it's and I said, and I raised the price slightly to $60. <clears throat> and I still gave an early bird bonus of like, if you sign up before this day, you get, you know, $13 off. Um, but mm-hmm. after this day, it's 60 bucks. And even it's just $13, people are motivated by saving money. Sure. So we turned basically 160 customers, the first camp into, um, to about 700 customers, the seven, second camp. Mm-hmm. So revenue raised from $9,000 to about $45,000. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I just did it again. It's like at the end of that camp, COVID was still going on. 
parents were like, are you going to extend it? Are you going to another, are you going to do it again? And I said, okay, it's, it started to turn into a business. And so I hired my first, um, first uh, team member. Then I hired an assistant then. Um, so the team was three people. And then we, we took, uh, we took that money. So we made about $40,000. I started saving some of that away for paying off my school loans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I saved like 10, 15,000 for that. And then I put the rest into ads. So you spent about 30 K in ads. The next time around, we spent twenty six, twenty seven thousand okay, dollars. Okay, twenty six. That's a lot of money in ads. Yeah, and then I, you know, I paid my staff and and mm-hmm. I paid myself a little bit for this. This I was saving saving money aside for taxes as well as yeah. as 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 the student loan, which was the thing I wanted to pay off. You know, um, so the third camp we went from you know about seven hundred customers to fifteen hundred. Mm. And then we made seventy thousand dollars in a month. So now we're gaining momentum, you know. Yes, you are. I'm like, I've done this three times in a row, and the ads, the cost per lead um, on Facebook were really cheap. I was getting things for about a dollar, a dollar fifty. So on Facebook, uh, if you have a for everyone who's not familiar with how Facebook advertising work, is basically you you run an ad, people click on the ad and then they opt in and then you get their email and Facebook tells you how much did it cost for you to get their email. So when I say cost per lead, that's what that means. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a business owner, you're always looking at how much did it cost me to acquire this group of people and how many sales did I get from that marketing to that group of people? It's really as simple as that. Um, You don't need to overcomplicate it, but uh, basically, um, so this is where the most amazing thing happened. Um, Wait, pause, pause right okay. there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I'm curious about one thing. Yeah. You you do the first class and it's three weeks long for forty seven dollars. Mm-hmm. You run the campaign and the campaign you spent I think uh, fourteen thousand dollars of that to sell basically a free week, right? Yes. And then from those people do you want to sign up for the paid course and then you're able to convert? Yes. And when you run this again, are you also doing the free week formula or yes. now you're just going straight for the paid? Okay, same thing. Yeah, so great question, Chris. You always have to give value in advance. And you teach yeah. this. Like The way that you give value advance is just by this overwhelming, huge library of, of videos that are free on YouTube, mm-hmm. right? Like basically mm-hmm. by the time people buy from you, they love you. They just want to say thank you and they want to be closer to you. They want to be closer right. to the group. They want to be part with Melinda and Ben and Matthew, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm your classic customer, you know, I'm like, Oh, I just want to be part of the gang, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, we, we don't do it organically through, I would love to do that. That's where I can learn a lot more from you still. What we do is we give you a free week of classes and we don't sell in the beginning at all. We're just mm-hmm. like, this is a whole free week enjoy it we do let them let you know that this is a school and they're there you know you can join later but just enjoy it now see if your kids like it just have fun and then midway right. through we transition to hey this is you know there's only two more classes left you know right. this is the schedule so we so there's a very um specific timing on rolling things out so you share hey these are the three these are the classes happening in the next three weeks 
and then here's the materialist and then you tell them here's the offer and here's you know either the bonus or the discount that you get by signing up now mm -hmm. and then the final push is hey the camp is starting enrollment's ending you're in or out and you always get right. lots of customers at the very end as well yes yeah okay so you're doing a couple of things i want to point out really quickly before we get to the big big moment absolutely which is you're giving a free trial you're demonstrating uh, basically this is what you're going to get so if you like it there's low risk to you as a parent to try it out and see if your kids like it yeah and then once they have a taste of it and then they're going to deal with the loss aversion bias is because once you have something you probably can't bear the fact that you're going to lose this thing yes and then you get into the scarcity part, which is there's a real deadline. It's coming up. And if you miss it, then you'll miss that wave, right? Yes. So you're doing all the right things. It's this is like a week-long webinar, but with value. Yeah. And okay. uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, because I did webinars for Storytelling Academy for mm -hmm. two, three years. And they were working like magic for two, three years, especially since I was doing them live. Yeah. Um, but the problem that I always had with webinars, which I didn't really like myself, is you're on a call for an hour, and then you give the people an offer, and then you're actually squeezing for the sale right away. Yeah. Right. And I always felt like, you know, this it works, it, but I always felt like it was kind of rushed, and I didn't feel. It so, doesn't feel good. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, you know, you have to do do it to basically get that commitment and start, and it ends up being mm -hmm. okay when they're your student because you're actually growing. That's the beginning of a relationship. If you're teaching so much value, they don't, you know, they love you later, right? But you yeah. do squeeze them in the beginning. It doesn't feel as like good. As, no, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. So I like this launch a lot more because there's a whole week um, and they already know they're experiencing the real product. Yeah. And there's no confusion of what you're getting. You're getting it. It's the same thing. It's just longer. <laughs> yeah. It's not that high pressure used car salesman technique. It's like value, value, value. By the way, if you want to do this and continue this journey with us, mm -hmm. you, you do need to act because the next class is starting. Yeah. There is some pressure, but it's 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 applied in the right way, I think. Yeah. Um, I like to think of it as uh, when you're going around Costco and you're get, or the mall and you're getting those free samples. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think in a webinar, you're getting a super, super small sample. And then someone's giving you this big coupon said, all right, if you buy like right now, you'll get the sandwich for half off. <laughs> right. And then it still feels like, oh, versus you're like, oh, go ahead, go shopping. You know, we'll be here. And, you know, um, and basically uh, there's only, you know, uh, the ship is like, if you're going to sign up for the ship, you know, the ship is sailing at this time and there's, right. and there's, you know, a hundred seats and 50 are gone. You know, you need to decide like, we're not, we're not pressuring at all. We're just telling you like what the date is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, without further ado, because I'm almost out of time here. Yes. Tell us the this last big launch that the game has changed at this point. Right. So, um, I I do a lot of thinking on my bike. I ride my bike and get exercise and do a lot of thinking. And I was thinking about the journey, and I was thinking about how you know the whole goal of this was to just raise my email list and give value. And at this mm -hmm. point, the email list is, I think, about 40,000 people. And I was like, that's significant, man. Yeah, I was like, this is not bad. And then I did some math in my head because we were converting anywhere between 4.5 to 5% of the people that sign up for the free week. And that's really mm -hmm. high. <laughs> like if, if you're converting 2%, you're doing great. So 4.5, 5% is like crazy high. 
I just thought, what if I had a hundred thousand people on my email list? And I was like, and I was reviewing the numbers. So there's one thing I didn't tell you about is um, we ran a contest on the last few promotions that that basically gave us double the amount of leads. So my lead cost went from a dollar fifty or dollar twenty to sixty cents. And I was like, that's insane. This is so cheap. And at the same time with Facebook, um, advertising costs just went lower because they're, all these businesses are struggling. They're not running ads. And so ads, ad, the ad cost went down by 20, 30%. And I just thought, oh, this is the best time to grow my analysts. And that led to the idea, what if I got a hundred, what if I had a promotion with a hundred thousand people? If I convert 4%, that's 4,000 customers. And I already been listening to my customers and they're like, what are you doing for the summer? We want a summer camp. We want a summer camp. So I'm just listening to, the, to what the customers want. And I thought, all right, I'm going to take all this profit and I'm going to put into ads again. <laughs> and we're going to go for it. I'm like, I did the calculation. I'm like, I think we can make 400,000 this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I planned out the promotion. And instead of three weeks, it's going to be a five-week camp. And then instead of me teaching all the classes, I thought, why don't I just invite all my friends that I can pay them really well. And let's, let's try to make a bunch of money and help a bunch of people out. Right. <laughs> let's go for it. And, um, and the promotion went pretty much to plan. Uh, the only thing that went above and beyond was the sales were so high. So, um, we closed with 4,700 customers and we made over $730,000 in, in this promotion. And the bulk of the, <laughs> the bulk of the money came, this is the like mind blowing thing. We made, we had 36 hours where we made, I think like $400,000 in 36 hours. Incredible. <laughs> and it was just, so good. Oh my gosh. It's just so good. It, it taught me a lot about money mindset is that, business a lot of business is a system you're building a system and uh and you're investing into the system and you can the internet is so scalable yeah yeah that does it for part one i know right when it was getting good too but don't fret because there's plenty more story to tell here tune in next week to hear how exactly ari scaled his new business all the way up to making over four hundred thousand dollars in just 36 hours That's crazy. We'll see you then. Thanks for joining us this time. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new insightful episode from us every week. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Doe and produced by me, Greg Gunn. Thank you to Anthony Barrow for editing and mixing this episode. And thank you to Adam Sanborn for our intro music. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us grow the show and make future episodes that much better. Have a question for Chris or me? Head over to thefuture.com slash heychris and ask away. We read every submission and we just might answer yours in a later episode. If you'd like to support the show and invest in yourself while you're at it, visit thefuture.com. You'll find video courses, digital products, and a bunch of helpful resources about design and creative business. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.